Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Heard Tell. Tell show for the last day of 2021. The year of our Lord is over. We're going to go into 2022 when we talk again on Monday. Uh, it'll be a new year. We're going to go into it with hope. We're going to go into it exciting, and we're not going to say anything bad about it and hope it treats us a little better than 2021 and 2020 did. I uh, hope you and yours are well wherever you are, however you're listening and or watching. Uh, we're sure glad you're with us today. Going to have a exciting guest that I'm excited about somebody that I love talking to, somebody that I greatly respect, uh, the perfect person I thought to do a little review of the year that was 2021, Todd Kelly, a longtime journalist. Uh, he's based out in the Portland area now. We've had him on the podcast before. Uh, he's an Ordinary Times original, um, just a really insightful, sharp uh, human being and observer of humanity. And we found, I think, a couple of stories that kind of encapsulate a lot of the things we dealt with in 2021. We're going to talk to Todd about that at length. Very excited about that. Appreciate him being on the show. Also, to end the show, uh, I have a few thank yous and just discussing what we're doing with this program going into the new year. But first, uh, let's turn down the noise on something that's really, really been loud the last uh, day and a half or so, so since it went down. Uh, Gillian Maxwell, uh, this is uh, Epstein's cohort his uh, running partner, and now she's a convict. She was convicted on five of the six charges that she faced. Um, this story has always been ugly. It's always been surrounded by the awfulness of what was done to these young women. It has been shrouded in the power of the people that Epstein surrounded himself with and integrated himself with. And it's been used by conspiracy theorists and other people to all sorts of bad ends. There's just not a whole lot of good in this particular pool of water that we're getting ready to dive into, but we kind of have to because it's a very loud story. It touches on a lot of power systems. It touches on a lot of big names. It touches on one of the worst crimes that we have in our world of things like human trafficking and abuse of young women. So let's see if we can't turn down the noise on this just a little bit. Let's just start with the facts. Uh, we're going to cover this from CNN. A jury in a New York federal court has found Ghislaine Maxwell guilty of five of six counts related to her role in Jeffrey Epstein's sexual abuse of minor girls between 1994 and 2004. Um, one quick note as we progress here. Everybody knows uh, Ep Epstein was very active for many, many years. This particular, remember, trials have rules. 
They had a specific set of victims they were dealing with. They had a specific set of evidence they were dealing with. So, yes, we know the crimes were other times much more recent and before those dates as well. This is just what this particular trial was dealing with. There may be other trials uh, in the future. We'll see how it goes. Back to CNN. Maxwell 60 was found guilty on five federal charges, sex trafficking of a minor, transporting a minor with the intent to engage in criminal sexual activity, and three related counts of conspiracy. She was acquitted on the charge of enticing a minor to travel to engage in illegal sex acts. Maxwell, who now faces up to 65 years in prison, showed no reaction when the verdicts were read. Judge Allison Nathan did not set a sentencing date. The jury, which was made up of six women and six men, deliberated for about 40 hours across parts of six days. They also had a COVID issue uh, for what it's worth. They had to take some time off for that. Prosecutors argued Maxwell and Epstein conspired to set up a scheme to lure young girls into sexual relationships with Epstein from 1994 to 2004 in New York, Florida, Mexico, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. That's from CNN. That's what happened. Now, let's deal with a couple things and parse it out real quick. I understand the need and the conspiracy theories, and people want to talk about uh, how bad this is and that this is proof that everything's corrupt. There's validity to some of that. Here's what we actually need to take away from stories like this. If you go online right now, whatever your politics, whatever your priors, whatever your political ideology is, you can find somebody of the other side's party and you can find somebody of your own side's party alongside Epstein. There's pictures of him with Hillary Clinton. There's pictures of him with Donald Trump. There's pictures of him with all sorts of celebrities. There's pictures of him and Maxwell on the porch of the Queen's cabin over in England. Anybody you want to link to him, you're going to be able to link to him. You can take that a couple different ways and you can just flame through all of them and I'm down with it. Fine. Get them all if they're all guilty. Let's investigate everybody. But that's probably not going to happen here. Nor are the conspiracy theories that get way out of hand like we've seen in the past of everybody who ever got in the same room with Jeffrey Epstein was part of the sex trafficking. That's probably not true either. What Epstein and Maxwell in these kind of cases prove is something that we need to be very cognizant of all the time. Anytime you have a power structure and you have money and you have influence and you have those power structures that are not held accountable to normal human standards of behavior, there is going to be abuse there's going to be misuse because what happens is those power structures become absolute magnets to people like the Epsteins of the world. They can operate underneath all that power and all that influence and all that money and all that attention and all that celebrity to do the wicked stuff they do because they can use power and money and influence to cover up what they're doing with the very people that they're doing it with. Epstein for a long time was untouchable because of those connections. They didn't happen in a vacuum. They happened in a sequence. And the sequence was the more and more of the celebrities and the politicians and the power brokers that he ran in a circle with, the more and the more he could keep it covered up because they didn't want to be embarrassed and they didn't want their power structure upset. The takeaway from these types of trials, because we can't really control trials, And we can't really control massive top-level corruption. But you can prevent it. 
the reason we talk so much about needing to hold government accountable, holding institutions accountable, and personal accountability is because something like Epstein and the wicked web for the better part of 25 years at least that he wove and that he abused these women and that he entrapped people and he made himself very wealthy doing it. The story is that those corrupt circles were breeding grounds for him to come in and operate. Power structures, institutions, and people that were properly held accountable and disciplined in and of themselves would never tolerate that sort of thing. Now, that sounds like, you know, a little Pollyannish probably. Oh, well, the, no, not really. Understand where abuse happens. Uh, we had Jennifer Greenberg on the podcast back during the summer, and she talked about over and over again when you're talking about abuse, it's always within a power structure, a family unit where the person that's abusing is using the power of the family or the good of the family. And over and over again, it is, well, we have to be quiet because it would embarrass the family or I'm the head of the family or in a church or religious setting, it would embarrass the church or it would embarrass the congregation or it would be bad for the faith and you need to be quiet and this person is an authority. And it's the same thing with the government. We can't embarrass the country. We can't embarrass the government. Too many powerful people. You notice a trend forming here? This is why the power structures is where you need to focus when you're dealing with these abusers like the Epsteins and the Maxwells of the world, because that's the ecosystem they operate in. An accountable government, an accountable justice system, an accountable society would leave less room for people like him to operate in. So how does he get in with at least two people that were president of the United States, if not more? We have pictures of him with both. We know they were, he was hanging in the circles with both. Now, we don't know the criminal activity end of it. That will have to come out if it ever comes out. But we know he was in those circles. How does somebody like Jeffrey Epstein get within buddy distance of two presidents of the United States? Corruption, lack of accountability, bad people letting good people or people that don't pay very good attention tolerate what they do over and over and over again because there's too much money involved so we better keep it quiet there's too much power involved so we better keep it quiet there's too much influence involved so we better keep it quiet and then it becomes oh well this person is too important we need to make sure we protect them looking at you bill clinton we went through this with his impeachment trial it doesn't matter what he does we need him to be president and i'm just taking him as an example because he's high profile you could do the same with Donald Trump and his various problems. You have people who were fans of his and supporters of his. It doesn't matter what he did wrong because they think he's an indispensable to what they want to see done. That's a bad path. There's nobody that's so indispensable that we should tolerate wickedness and open wickedness for them to do it. Because what you just did was make yet another power structure for more abusers to come in. And these power structures that are corrupt like this are like magnets to people like the Epsteins and Maxwells of the world. They just draws them to it because they know that everybody's just as dirty as them. And they can use that as leverage. They can use it as cover and they can use it as currency. When you really dig into the Epstein case and you look at the financials and the way he was able to work in very high circles, high education circles, high society circles, high political circles, high finance circles. That's how he did it. He used their own influence. He knew that they had cracks in their own character and their own integrity and in their own accountability. And he wiggled himself right into those cracks 
to do the wickedness that he did. And these young girls suffered for it. And more and more people underneath that probably suffered for it than we will ever find out. Because already you're going to start hearing that this is going to be the end of it. And they're not going to dig down any further because now we've had justice and Maxwell's in prison. But that's not true. The men that took advantage of these women, most of them are not going to come to justice. We've seen this over and over again. Why? Yet another power structure will need to be protected. Every time we see these cases of abuse and abusers, take a step back and start asking what's the power structure involved, because that's where the story starts. And that's almost never where the story ends, because unless you ever fix the power structure, human nature, the worst parts of human nature, will always take advantage. More Herd Tell right after this. I'm excited about this. Welcome back to Herd Tell. I'm Andrew Donaldson. I'm joined by one of my favorite people, even though I've never actually met you in person, we were joking about, uh, Todd Kelly, longtime, long-form journalist. He's also the producer of Seven Deadly Sins shows in the Portland area once they allow them to do it again. And uh, he's been a good friend, a good mentor. He's one of the Ordinary Times OGs, one of the wise men there that we bounce ideas off. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Andrew? Fantastic. Up there in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. uh, Where men are men and the women try to deal with them as best they can and people are pleasant. And what's the Lake Wobegon introduction? Does that apply to Portland these days? Um, No, no, I think (laughs) I think you'd have to throw in something about um, something. You need something locally sourced mentioned in the Lake will be gone to really, yeah, to really get the Pacific Northwest vibe going. Yeah. Some rain and some food trucks, I think, might cover. Yes, artisan food trucks. Excuse me, locally sourced, non-GMO food trucks. Yes. All right, good deal. Uh, I'm thrilled to have you because everybody does their year-end and review stuff. So when we decided we were going to do it for Hertel for the last day of 2021, the year of our Lord 2022 is finally upon us. Um, you're great with the big picture perspective stuff. The thing I really respect about you is your, your observational skills of humanity, if you will. Um, what jumped out at you in 2021? Because I know we had a lot of huge news things. We had, you know, the election hangover, we had January 6th, we had Afghanistan. Um, but just kind of what really flagged you, the COVID stuff, of course, dominated everything. What really right. flagged you kind of not just as a journalist, but just as an observer of what's going on? What really jumped out at you about this year? Um, if I had to pick one thing, it would probably be not January 6th, um, but uh, sort of what at least to this point seems to be the capitulation by the right um, of sort of the the election was stolen and uh, all of the things that have come since then about trying to replace people in key election positions. Like those are all things that I feel like even a year or two ago, I would have said were still impossible um, in this country. Um, And and they, you know, they, I don't know that they've all made the biggest headlines so far, but those seem to me to be the most unusual and significant things that I've seen this year. I, I kind of go from the angle of when we have a crisis, crisis always reveals things. 
And mm. I think the dual track of the COVID stuff, um, a contentious election, we have some of the, even though the economy is not really bad, that's not the right way to say it, but there's been economic ripples like the supply chain stuff, that sort of thing, labor shortages. I think we've had a confluence of events over this last year that, while not great, and it wasn't a great year for a lot of folks, I think it was a very telling year. I think it's a year of clarity on a lot of things. I think we found out a lot about what people really believe based on their actions. I think we found out a lot about how our reality is presented to us through news media and social media. I think we found out a lot about that. Do you feel that way? I think we actually, I know it was kind of painful and bad stuff like the bad election stuff, the January 6th stuff, the COVID, you know, the awful death toll of COVID is of course awful. I think how people react to this stuff was very, very telling to me. I think that's something I'm going to take out of this year. What about you? Um, tell me just real quick. What do you mean by telling? Like, can you I, give I me think, an example? I think I learned how people react to things because, you know, when you put somebody in a crisis, you mm -hmm. find out about them, you find out their character, how they view the world, like not what they say, what they really, really believe. If, if you look at something like January 6th, your reaction to that tells me a lot. If you look at something like the death toll of COVID and whether you're emphatic to it or you recoil from it or mm -hmm. whether you try to minimize it, that tells me a lot about you uh, as a person. And I think some of our social media outlets, I think some of our writing outlets, I think some of our news media outlets on both sides, I think we learned a lot about them and how they dealt with these issues, especially are we going to take this momentous event and just slam it into what we already believed? And then that's where we're going forward. I think I learned a lot about a lot of people this year from these events. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, and I think to a certain extent, I've also learned how little I know about so many people. Um, I'm genuinely unsure these days when I see, especially on social media with people, uh, who like that's a big part of their career or their personal life is to sort of be a presence on social media. I used to feel like that group of people, I sort of knew who they were and what they stood for. And I don't know that I feel that confident about that anymore. And you still learn something about them through this, but uh, I'm not, this is a conversation I have with a lot of people, uh, I think with you as well online, that I don't know how much of it is things people believe or how much things people do just to get attention. Um, and so I feel, I agree with you, but I feel less certain about where everybody stands now than I did before. Yeah, and one of those things we were talking, we're talking to Todd Kelly for her tell. One of those things we were kicking around online, too, is what do you do about the people that are online, both elected officials and just personalities, that everything they're doing is about getting attention? Talking about the real bad faith actors, the Marjorie Taylor Greens right. of the world. There's, you know, there's people on the left, too, that are just attention hounds. I can't think of one off the top of my head. But those people who, you know, we've talked about and we were talking about this the other day online, so you can extrapolate on it. But. What do you do with we have this whole class of people now in our media and our social media that they just want the attention, good and bad. And I I'll be honest, I'm not sure how to deal with them sometimes because part of me wants to just ignore them. 
but at the same time, it's it's jello to the wall. Everything you do, it just spreads it. So what do we do about that? I, that's a good question. I don't I, I don't know. Um, you take someone like Marjorie Taylor Greene, that every time that you react or outrage or you show people, man, look what she's look at this movement that she's building. Um even if you're approaching it in a negative fashion, like that helps her. Um, but I think that if you ignore her, it's not like she's going to stop. Um, she's going to continue to do that. And I don't know that it's that healthy to have that kind of thing fester and grow without anybody having any idea that it's happening long term. And so I don't know what you do. I think part of the Maybe the key issue is that we're at a moment in time, Andrew, where there are no penalties for people for antisocial behavior. Um, there was a time where, you know, if you were like a Donald Trump um, or, but anybody else who sort of embarrasses their party or gets drummed out of office, um, or has no, can't put together legislation without it falling apart. Like that would be a career killer. Any of those things in politics. Now it's just sort of, it's almost like it's an entertainment industry. And so Marjorie Taylor Greene could conceivably not be reelected. That will not be the end of her career in the Republican Party. If anything, like, She'll get, uh, she'll probably get her own radio show. She might get her own show on Fox. Um, she'll be able to sort of, you know, do what Sarah Palin did for a while before Sarah Palin got bored of it. Um, that there's like nobody after they've been caught doing something bad goes away anymore. Uh, and if anything, they just become that more visible and they have that more influence. And I don't, you know, I, I don't know how you deal with that. Yeah. And it's, I think the entertainment value is, and people smarter than me are coming up with this. So I'd cite them, but I forget who started it. But a lot of people have been talking about, there's this real third personism to how we're doing culture and politics right now. It's all detached. It's all spectating. It's all, you know, we've, we're, we're treating politics and the cultural debate on TV and news media like it's a sporting event that we're watching right. and like it doesn't have any effects to stuff, but you know, you get the Donald Trump stuff. Uh, we saw what happened with Cuomo up in New York where he gets elevated and it precipitated his fall. Cause then people kind of had to start paying attention to it. And then you get the, what about of the one side will point at the other as an excuse to not deal with their stuff. And it's just this ongoing nonstop competition. Competition is normal but this third party taking away from it, I think that's where the accountability kind of goes away. Like you're talking about the social consequences because that person's your avatar. So if they fall down, well, it was their fault, not mine. And I can just go to the next avatar with no consequences whatsoever. Yeah. Um, and I think that this predates Trump. Um, the example that I always like think of myself is uh, Ted Cruz, who um, sort of before Trump came along, sort of had this, uh, reputation on the right, I think, of, of sort of being like this leader, this um, senator of the right that was sort of doing great things. 
But if you sort of look at what he did as legislator, like he didn't, he's never really done anything. Um, I think his genius, and I think that he is very like highly intelligent. I think one of his geniuses is that I think he figured out before a lot of other people in the Republican Party that the way to be successful in the 21st century was not to craft legislation, um, but to become a personality. And he even, and you know, before Trump came along, he was even famous for being on Fox News, being interviewed about how a bill shouldn't pass when the bill was up for vote. Like he would, that was a thing that would hit the news every now and then. He just wouldn't show up to vote because he, for him, it was more important to sort of be on television, be on radio, um, build a brand, if you will. Yeah, that's something that's infected all of the Congress critters now because every yeah. committee he- meeting now, every committee hearing, I should say, I guess, um, it's all entertainment. It's all talking points. It was all, um, I was talking to our friend, Dr. Keith Humphreys. He, he went on the opioid panel in front of the Senate. And he's like, no, this, this, this one's actually good. They actually ask us a question and we answer the question. Then they ask right. another question. It's not like that one. It's sad when the government has to def- delineate between those two things. I really wonder... Is there going to be some kind of, you know, trees don't grow to the sky, everything's cyclical. Is there going to be a down cycle to this, to the way Congress, especially because they're supposed to be doing legislative, they're supposed to be the deliberative body, especially the Senate. Is there going to be a down cycle to this where that starts hurting them? Because this can't just go on forever like this, can it? And that's a question. Hopeful question. I I know I'm cynical by trade. but Right. So I think one of two things is going to happen. I think one is that people like me and possibly you will be surprised to discover that like, oh, you know what? The country can go on like this indefinitely and be just fine, Um, in which case it will. If not, like eventually you reach some point where something breaks so badly um, that it becomes no longer acceptable to let people slide. and, you know, you might have hoped that COVID would have been that, but COVID still sort of has that act of God feeling to it. Um, it it's, hard, it's hard to look around the country and not think that, like, things would have been bad no matter what. Um, and you have both sides saying, but it would have been better if... Yes. But at some point, something's going to happen where uh, the economy is going to break or uh, there's going to uh, be a sudden like loss of services that people find incredibly important. I think you're right about all that. Uh, We're talking to Todd Kelly, kind of our year end wrap up. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we have a new story that I think kind of encapsulates a lot of the cross streams that 2021 racked into. And we're also going to talk a little more culture and politics with our buddy Todd Kelly right after this. And back with our tell show, still talking to our buddy uh, Todd Kelly, uh, man of the world. 
observer of humanity of the world of the world uh from his perch high atop pd oh i don't know what the elevation change in pdx is nowadays but uh yeah, it's like 500 feet yeah he's he's in the top right corner top left corner of the country he's just lording yeah. over all of us uh just and, looking down from the top corner yeah looking down on a world that is looking down on me fraser <laughs> once famously said um the leading trending story for Washington Post yesterday was a rehash of something that happened earlier this year. And when we were trying to put together uh, what we wanted to talk about as things this year, I think this story really was a confluence of a lot of different things and we can touch on. What it was, was back in September, it was recorded in June, but back in September, uh, Ted Koppel, who of course is legendary for Nightline, he's now doing stuff with CBS, uh, went to Mayberry, went to Mount Airy, North Carolina, and interviewed people in Mount Airy about what uh, they thought about the current state of politics. And his whole angle on this was that um, people thought Andy Griffith was real. And these people think Andy Griffith, the TV show, was real. And that is affecting their politics. That was his premise. The viral portion of this was famously on the trolley. And he asked them about the election. And they get into the election was rigged and we love Donald Trump. That's the part that went viral. What does that whole clip, though, because uh, man on the street reporting is obviously not new. You've been a journalist a long time. You know how this works. We go into town. We make sure we get the guys with the right accents and that sort of thing. How does a clip like that land with you? And the fact that it's they're holding it up as this was a moment for this year to represent this year. And it's trending that way as well. What what do you take from that moment, though? Um, are you talking about the fact that it's uh, controversial or big or the actual story itself all of it because it i think there's about four or five different cross streams there because yeah you, you know go ahead i'm sorry no 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 i'm um i mean i look at the story in a number of different ways uh, i'm probably like the biggest thing is that you can't do a story of that length to try and deal with the topics that Koppel is trying to deal with. Um, and so I don't understand why you do. And at the same time, like there are, like there are lots of things in that piece that I find fascinating. As a writer, I have to confess, I like, I don't like the right left swing of it, but I sort of like the thought that there is this, um, that in order to get back to this past that, feels more real to us than our current times. We go to this fictional thing that never existed. I find that a fascinating concept as a writer. Um, I don't know that the piece did that concept a lot of justice. Um, but there are like, and then there are a ton of other things that probably are not applicable to this conversation. Like what is the purpose of art? Like, I don't think escapism is a, uh, bad thing for a piece of art like a television show um anyway i i just i had lots of thoughts about it i thought there were if you would have told me before i saw this article um hey there's an article about this town that probably wasn't what mayberry rfd was based on but it assumes that it is for sort of the tourist industry, I would have thought there's, I have no interest in that, but it brings up all of these interesting threads, but you know, it's a couple of minutes long. It can't go into any of them. 
I don't understand the point of it would be well, my reaction to the piece itself. Yeah. And the point of it is, I shouldn't say that one of the points of it, I fear is we, I think one of the underlying currents of our national, of our media right now is we have nationalized media. So is it really helpful? My question to you journalists, because I'm not, I do some journalists at J stuff. I try to be respectful of journalists and, and that sort of thing, but you're a journalist. I'm not, you tell me, is this part of the problem of a national media where we just go to specific parts of the country, pluck them out and then go, Oh, this is part of our national narrative. Now. I, I think that's kind of a trend that I keep seeing and I'm not sure that's very helpful, not only for what they're trying to portray, I'm not sure that's good and healthy for the national news media either. I, I would agree with that. I think that there, I fall short of other people I know and respect uh, who sort of say, don't cover these people, um, that it's bad to cover these people and give them a voice. Uh, I stop well short of that, but I don't, I don't know how you do that kind of stuff regularly without going out and specifically finding a place that meets your understanding of what it is that you want to see. Um, I could be wrong. Like maybe somebody from, I don't know, the New York times, like throws a dart at the map and then goes out and hangs out in a diner there. But I doubt that's what happens. I think that you look for a place, you have a narrative in your head about a place you don't really spend a time in, that you people that you don't really know, um, and you find something that you think will fit that narrative. And that's clearly problematic. Um, but I, and I would add to that, Andrew, that I think that there is the issue that there's a, been a great commingling of what uh, I would call journalism um, and what I would call entertainment. But I understand that the piece that Koppel did is sort of viewed as journalism because it's by Ted Koppel. And it's Koppel um, and he's kind of the old and guard it, guy. And, you know, yeah, but like most things that I see on, uh, on TV news right now, like, it doesn't click any of the boxes for journalism for me. It just seems like a little piece of thing to entertain people, um, which is what I feel most things that you, if you turn on the TV news, cable or network, I feel like it's mostly now just entertainment and not journalism. Yeah. And I, one of the things that bothered me about this piece was, and and just to be clear, I disagree with them about the election. I don't think it was stolen. I think they're dead wrong about that. Right. But the thing that kind of bothered me is like, well, your premise is that they are, you know, presenting a television show that isn't real as reality that you're making to present on a television show that you're trying to say that this is reality. Like there's a, there's, and I know that's a little yeah. harsh, but let's be honest here television network news is a for this is why i go to the pro wrestling thing the action is real the injuries are real the athleticism is amazing that part of it's all real but it's a presented story in a certain method i'm not saying there's not truth there i'm not going to scream fake news and stuff but it is a presented story they approved all the people that were on that trolley right <laughs> you know they didn't yeah. you know i i just find the I was like, I, I think you're not only doing a disservice to people because you start 
And what you were saying about picking people, what happens is you start playing the stereotypes, whether you mean to or not, because you just have to, you don't have a choice anymore because you got to have that character for the story. It's not only not fair to the people. I think this is really, this is kind of a germ of how people don't trust news media like they once did because of stuff like this, because folks aren't dumb. They know they've watched a lot. They've got 20, 25 years of reality TV experience under their belts now. They know how releases work. They know. You know, they know how these things work, I think, a little bit more. And they just don't like, well, wait a minute. This this doesn't match what I need as far as just getting information about a story goes. And they start going, now they're picking a side. Right. Because it's and a competition I, I, show. Yeah. And I think with this particular instance, I think there's I think people just know intuitively like the when they go as a tourist somewhere for something like Universal Studios or this town or for people in California where I grew up, Vasquez Rocks, like where they did all of these, like there's this jump that if people are doing this, they must think that everything on those shows or movies was real. And I think every, I think you watch that and you just intuitively know, like even if you don't do the calculating in your head, I think some part of your brain goes, I don't think that's why they're there. Like, I, I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but I bet none of those people on that trolley uh, were on there, had this thing in my, their head going, uh, Andy Griffith was real. Yeah. Uh, and everything in that town was the way life used to be. Like, I doubt very much that was the narrative they had in their head when they went there. No, I don't think so either. I think there's... And all due respect to Ted Koppel, because he's, you know, when yeah. you're hit, when you're when you're his age, I'm going to give you some some slack because you're you are what you are. But th- there's just no way you can do that story without being condescending about it. Like, really? I mean, there might have been a better way to do it. But when you start with the prince premise of I'm going to go show these people who think a TV show is real, like you, you've already built it in. Like, no matter yeah. how nice you are about it. Yeah, I mean. But I, I think in order to do that, it would have taken time and money. Um, and it, I, you don't just jump on a trolley full of people and sort of pull them uh, and find out things to that depth. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. And nobody, and, you know, once again, you don't get on TV by accident. That don't happen anymore because lawyers right. are involved. So anyway, uh, talking to our Todd Kelly, we're going to take one more quick break. And then I've got the one question that I really want to ask him above all others to finish out this last day of 2021. Do not be Ooh, afraid. No, I'm excited. You'll be okay. You'll be fine. So quick break right back with our Todd Kelly. Last few minutes of 2021 on Hertel right after this. Back on Hertel, finishing up with our friend uh, Todd Kelly. Thank you so much for your time today, sir. I really appreciate it. Okay. So I get to ask a question I actually want to ask. I don't have to think about the show, but okay. you know you know what my happy place online is because you follow me on Twitter. We are internet friends. Uh, you know what my absolute happiest place in the world is, and that's with Twitter Supper Club. Supper Club, yeah. You, you are a founding member. You are a bedrock participant. You do amazing dinners and stuff, but you're also a writer at heart. So maybe you can articulate it better than me. Why has that taken off and gotten so popular? Because now it's trending every night. Somebody sent me, it shows up in the trending tab. Now it's really cool, but 
I just think doing something so simple like taking a picture of your food and sharing it after a long day of arguing about politics is something I need personally just to not be insane. But people just, man, they respond to that. But you responded to it. It's just something I kind of started doing. You tell me what it means to you and use your writer brain to make it sound nice and poetic. Um, I can tell you what it means to me. I'll also tell you why I think that people respond that way. Um, I think for me, I like it because it gives me a challenge. Um, I love cooking. Uh, I love learning about new ways to cook, new methods, doing new dishes. Um, but one thing I've never been particularly good with is presentation. Um, and I think the thought that I'm going to make this thing and then, wow, it turned out fantastic. But now I have to uh, find some way to put to plate it, um, which I don't think I ever cared about before. Um, and so that is, I think, why I started um, to try and get better at it. And now, you know, it's a community and I like I like sharing what I did that really worked. And, you know, I love sharing what was an abject failure. Um, I think that there is something fun about doing that as part of a larger community. Um, and I, th I, I would say that I think the reason why Twitter's Supper Club exploded is at this moment in time, uh, I think you've created something that everybody can do in a way that is connective and supportive. And I, I see, and it's not just the, uh, you know, good food doesn't have political borders or culture war borders, although that's true. Um, I think there's also like you see people wanting to get involved. Um, you know, they made a hot dog um, or they've gone out to fast food or they've gone out to dinner and they've done, like it doesn't have like there are people uh, who will post things that just feel like, wow, that person knows what they're doing in the kitchen. But nothing about Twitter Supper Club feels like it's exclusively for those people. It feels like it commingles people on every, on the entire spectrum of how people cook, how well they cook, how much they know. And I th it's wonderful. I yeah. love it. It's my favorite part of Twitter. It is mine too. And it's become that. And that's why I, I make a point to make sure I throw my bowl of Count Chocula on there every once in a while. <laughs> Um, I, I like, Hey, I still eat them. Like, look, I can plate something up that could go on a magazine from time to time. Cause I can cook a little bit, but Hey, a lot of nights it's little Caesars. Cause you know, I'm a right. harried parent and I don't want to deal with it and 10 bucks and I'm in and out and it shuts the kids up. You know, there there's days like that too. <laughs> yeah, no. And I think that, uh, people, I certainly me, but I think other people, you they'll see that and you can relate to like, Oh man, I know that feeling. And I know how amazing it feels when, you bring the little Caesars home and you can just relax and everybody in the house is glad that you did it. Like, yeah, I think those are all things that we can all relate to. Yeah. And I, uh, I'll make a point of it every now and then I'll be like, yeah, this is my bagel at the desk. Cause I'm just too busy right now. You know, right. So, but I love, I love, you know, I started writing not to get personal, but it's my show. Um, <laughs> Hey, I try to hold a standard so every once in a while I can wax poetic. Yeah. I, I started writing to try to do something worthwhile and to try to actually make a difference. I didn't want to be Pollyannish about it, but I was like, look, I want to participate. 
you know, so doing the politics stuff, you just lose that really fast just because of the nature of the beast and especially doing the stuff with ordinary times where you're, you know, working right. with other people all the time. You lose that fast and you understand that better than than most folks because you've been in that position. So to have that at the I know it's like, man, if I can just get to about 430, my whole feed's going to be full of food. I think those are one and the same. Like I can. I can fight for my country. I can fight for democracies. You know, democracies in danger is the big, well, kind of, but it always is. You know, I can do all that stuff. But building community stuff is just as important as that stuff. Yeah. And, and I think. And we lose that too fast, I think. So I want to make sure we do both. Yeah. And I th- and an interesting thing about Twitter Supper Club is that people who clearly must think that I am the devil with my own political views, I think follow me uh, because of, just because of Twitter Supper Club and interact with me. Um, I think it speaks to a desire, sort of despite the fact that there's really no money in it for anybody, the way there is to divide people. Um, Even if like there's no way for forces to capitalize on that, I think it shows that there is a real desire for people out there. People want to come together and feel like uh, they're we're all part of one big community. Um, and I like I think I think your supper club speaks to that. Yeah. And again, I started it for wholly selfish reasons. It was just to make me feel good and feel like a human being. But. Uh, I, I like that we connected a lot of other humans. It, I get a kick out of it privately, um, especially somebody that's like a politician. And it's somebody that I know for a fact, if we put them in a room, it would be, you know, hammer and tongs. Because right. you know, one of them is really, pro- you know, very progressive political uh, candidate or office holder. And then a super conservative person that wouldn't even give them the time of day. And uh, yeah. they're wanting the muffin recipe. Uh, uh, I love that kind of stuff. So. Uh, Todd Kelly, I appreciate your uh, gracious time today, my friend. Uh, playing hurt, he's been fighting a cold, so uh, appreciate you playing hurt for us anyway and pushing through. Um, but my you, pleasure. Yeah, you're 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 good peoples, and now that we're doing more stuff with Hertel, we'll definitely have you on more often. Also, want to have you on with your uh, your compatriot and crime Bert Lyko sometime soon because that was one of our best episodes on Portland. We're gonna have to do a follow up on that, my friend. Ah, we love that. All right. We'll talk to you soon, my friend. Thank you, Todd. All right. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, sir. That'll do it for Herd Tell this edition, the end of the year, the last day of 2021. And what a year it's been for Herd Tell. Uh, We started the podcast uh, back during the summer. Uh, I need to thank a couple people specifically for that Stephen Kent uh, at the time was at Young Voices. He's since gone on to do other things, but he kind of nudged me towards that. We had already been working on it and workshopping it, and he kind of gave me the last little push to make it come to fruition. Uh, And as always, we appreciate all our friends at Ordinary Times. A lot of those contributors are on this program as well. We appreciate our partnership with Young Voices. Some exciting stuff with that coming up in the new year. You'll be seeing a lot more of them going to be formalizing our relationship with those folks. They're good people. Seek them out sharp, sharp individuals that are the next generation. I don't even want to say next generation because they're doing it now already. And they are bright minds that will challenge your thinking, look at the world differently than you might, and fantastic folks to have on the program. But for now, we end up 2021 with this edition of Herd Tell. And we just want to say thank you. Uh, The last couple of weeks, we've been doing the daily show. The numbers have been great. 
The response has been good, and we'll keep doing it as long as you keep watching. Have exciting guests already lined up for next week. Going to start the new year out strong. So wherever you are, cross street or around the world, we hope you're well. We hope you're well fed. Enjoy this last day of 2021. We hope you're very, very blessed in 2022. And we'll be here with you all the way through, turning down the news cycle noise, getting to the information we need, discerning our times, which is now in the year of our Lord, 2022. Y'all take care. All the music on her tell is provided under a creative content license from monstercat.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.